We're continuing with our studies of the Rambam's 13 Principles of Faith. We began last week talking about the seventh principle, namely the principle that Moses, that Moshe is the greatest prophet of them all. Last week we dedicated our discussion to talk about how Moses the individual, Moses the persona, Moses achieved unparalleled stature as a human, unrivaled by any of his peers. Today we're going to focus on how Mosaic prophecy, how the prophecy that Moses had, the level of the prophecy, the content of the prophecy, the vetting of the prophecy, his level of understanding was unmatched, was unparalleled by any prophet, not those that came prior and not those that came subsequently. In fact, like we mentioned last time, Moses' prophecy is in a class of its own, so much so that the similarities between Mosaic prophecy and all the other prophets are nominal, in name only, because the level of experience is so radically different that really they're not even in the same category. So the Ramam points that there are various verses in the Torah to attest that he was a greater prophet than all those that came prior and all those that came subsequently. So in middle of the Almighty's negotiation with Moses, Moses is tasked with the responsibility to go to Egypt and to go save the Jewish people, bring him out, bring him out of their misery, take him out of Egypt. And Moses, of course, resists. And he says, no. And they have seven days of negotiation. Moses says, no, send Aaron. They're not going to listen to me. I, I don't speak well. And finally, Moses agrees to go. And his first foray into Egypt is a disaster. Instead of easing the situation of the Jewish people, it exacerbates, it gets worse. And Moses goes back to God and says, this is, this, you sent me to save them, and things got worse. And the Almighty responds, by differentiating between the revelation that God gives to Moses versus the revelation he gives to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Of course, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, top prophets. But God only appeared to them in one way and not in the other way. And this verse, the Ram tells us, indicates that the level of prophecy attained by the forefathers, by the patriarchs, by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it was great, but it's a much higher level than that of Moses. Similarly, in the eulogy that the Torah gives to Moses, although it's in Deuteronomy, it tells us that there will not arise amongst the Jewish people a prophet like Moses who spoke to God face to face and says the Rambam, well, if it doesn't appear in the Jewish nation, the nation where, where almost all prophets were a kingdom of priests and holy nation, certainly we're not going to have a parallel prophet, a prophet same level, anywhere else amongst the amongst the prophets of of the whole world. Okay, so that's the idea. The idea that mosaic prophecy is unparalleled by any other prophetic experience of any other prophet. Now we read last week how the Ram tells us there's four different ways that mosaic prophecy differs from every other prophecy. Number one. Every other prophecy has an angelic intermediary. God conveys the prophecy to the angel who gives it off to the prophet. Whereas the prophecy of Moses is directly from God to Moses. That's number one. Number two, every other prophet is done via dream or via a trance if it's by day 
but usually it's by night, whereas Moses, he's totally awake, totally alert, has all his faculties, and is communicating with God. Every other prophet, says the Rambam, has trepidation. It's not a normal form of communication. They're shaking, they're convulsing, whereas Moses, he's calm, he's at ease, it's the normal mode of communication. Prophecy is not an unusual departure from normal conversation. And finally, Moses has prophecy on demand, whereas all the other prophets cannot conjure prophecy, they cannot initiate it. They could prepare themselves, they could prime themselves, they could try to be in the right mode, the right state of mind, to be purified, to be ready for prophecy, but ultimately they cannot initiate it. Only God can decide if he's interested in talking to them or not. Whereas Moses, he has an open door. Whenever he wants to walk in to come talk to God, he is welcome to do so. In fact, when we read about the episode of Miriam, Moses' older sister, she is afflicted with tzaras, with a spiritual leprosy, because she speaks negatively about her brother. And the, the essence of her critique of Moses was that she not recognized this point. She found out, she discovered that Moses separated from his wife. And she said, wait a minute, all of us are prophets. The whole nation experienced prophecy at Sinai. More on that in a minute. But we're prophets. I'm a prophetess. Aaron's a prophet. And we're still engaging in normal marital activities. Why is Moses separating from his wife? And the answer we know, it's because Moses did not have periods of prophecy and periods of no prophecy. He had a constant state of prophetic experience on demand. And therefore, he had to always maintain that elevated stature of being ready for prophecy and normal conjugal life cannot coexist with Mosaic prophecy. Miriam didn't didn't recognize this, and that's why she was afflicted with Saras. I want to speak about these ideas in general, about maybe the nitty-gritty of how Mosaic prophecy exists and how it's different than all the other prophets. So the Ram tells us that every other prophecy of every other prophet is done via some intermediary, via an angel, whereas Mosaic prophecy directly from God. This is a subject of a very large debate. It's not universally accepted the Ram's position. There are many of his colleagues, his peers, that agree with him, but this is a subject of dispute. But what does it mean that all the other prophets get their prophecy via an angel? What does that even mean? Is God speaking to them, or is God not speaking to them? What does it mean that Moses butts that trend, and he has prophecy directly with God. So I think a way to frame it is as follows. The Rambam in the Laws of the Foundations of Torah delineates ten different types of angels in descending order of how lofty they are. And he says there's ten different names of angels to indicate the ten different levels of angels. Level number one is called Chayos HaKodesh, the Holy Chayos. Then there's the Ofanim, there are Elim, the Chashmalim, Serafim, Melachim, Elohim, Bnei Elohim, Kruvim, and then finally Ishim. The lowest level of prophecy is Ishim. Now these names appear throughout Jewish literature, and to us it's just one big mumble jumble, oh, they're angels, okay. But here we find out 
that actually know that there's different gradients, different levels, 10 different general levels, and 10 different names for those 10 different levels of angels. The lowest level is called Ishim. The word Ish in Hebrew means a man or human. Explains the Rambam that the highest level is the Chayos. What it means, again, these are these these are all beyond us. What, what does it mean that there's a difference between these, these levels? We're just going to trust the Rambam that he has this figured out. The highest level of angels is Chayos, and above that is already in the, in the in the divine godly sphere. The lowest level is the Ishim. And the reason why these angels are called Ishim, which again is rooted in the word Ish, which means man, is because these are the angels that interface with humans. And if someone is a prophet, then they're getting close, they're edging towards the level of the lowest angel, namely the Ishim. And therefore, they're close in proximity. And if God is going to give a prophecy, it's going to be via the touch point, so to speak, of the human and the other spheres, the angelic sphere. And of course, the angel that he's going to interface is the one that's closest to him, which is the Ishim. That's what the Ram tells us. And that's what they're called Ishim because they're similar, they're more human than the higher levels or they're more closer to us. Whatever that means, again, it's uh, it's beyond, you know, that, that's kind of the theological realm. But this is what we're told over here. Maybe what we could suggest is, you know, God, of course, is above all of that. And if God wants to send a message to Jeremiah the prophet or Abraham the prophet or any prophet, the way it would work is that the Almighty is going to send this message down. But there's no touch point, so to speak, between the Almighty and this prophet because there's all these angels separating them. And thus, each one of these stages is, is a handoff, so to speak. The message is given by God to the angel. But which angel? The angel that closest to God. It's handed off. Pass it to the next level. And eventually, it's in the hands of the Isham and he delivers it, so to speak, to the prophet. And each level that it's going to be downgraded, it's going to be almost like um, the clarity, the lucidity of the prophecy is going to have to filter through all these levels from God to the prophet. And each level is another layer of opacity, uh, a screen, if you will, through which the prophecy has to go through. And thus the message is garbled a little bit, needs to be interpreted by the prophet. So that's the way prophecy works in general. We're told, and we spoke about this last time, Moses ascends to a level not achieved by any other human. Ram told us multiple times, Moses became the level of an angel. What type of angel? It's implied that Moshe became greater than the greatest of the angels. So there's no... There's no angel buffering between him and God because he's above all of them. And you know, the deep message of that is that really every soul-bearing human, if we could just isolate their soul, well, their soul is more sublime, it's holier than the greatest of the angels because it comes from a higher place. The problem is, is that we're not just the soul, we have all the other stuff that contaminates our holiness. Moses was the one person who cleansed himself to such a degree, who got rid of any of those other counteracting forces, 
and he maintained an existence as solely a soul, the most elevated soul, the soul that towers above even the angels, and therefore he is the closest of all things to God, and therefore the connection is is direct. The touch point is direct. And Therefore, he does not need any intermediary because the angels are all below him. And like we saw last week, Moses, when he has a conflict with the angels, when he has a debate, a disagree with the angels, he triumphs over them. He's greater than them. And this idea, again, it's, I would say, hinted in the Rambam because he doesn't spell it out. He does tell us that Moses is an angel and he does tell us that prophecy has to go through all these levels of angels to get to the Isha, the lowest level of angels, to be handed off to the human, but he does imply that Moses, via his cleansing of character and via his special nature and via the role that is designated for him, he becomes a level higher than all the other angels, and thus there is no angel separating between him and God. And this is explicit in other sources. So for example, in the Rebbein Bahai, one of the commentaries on the Torah, in Leviticus chapter one, verse one, so the verse, so the first verse of Leviticus, he quotes from the Rabbeinu Saad Yagon, one of the great figures of the Gaonic period, who says clearly that all the prophets, all the other prophets besides for Moses, had an intermediary, which is the angel, but Moses himself, he took the place of the angel, and he would hear the voice of God directly himself without being filtered through any of those angelic intermediaries. Now, I want to stress that our understanding, even though we've given some framework to this idea, our understanding is very surface because even the most basic kind of prophecy is an idea that's beyond us. We cannot fathom what that is like, but we are we are given some context here by the Rambam, and of course we're told that this is a critical component of Jewish faith, and therefore we're required to study it even though we don't really understand what this means. But again, it's important to have that disclaimer. I saw a beautiful idea on on this insight, this idea that mosaic prophecy is different. There's no angel in between. We know that over the course of the Torah, Moses had several detractors. He had several people that contested him, that rebelled against him, that tried to, to, to... have a mutiny against Moses. And that's happened many times throughout the Torah. One of them is in the conflict of Korach, Moses' first cousin. And, of course, fights get amplified when family's involved. Korach, he wants to launch the insurrection against Moses. He says, Moses, you're a fraud. Moses, you're a fraud. Now, the Talmud in the book of Sanhedrin, page 110a, tells us, that the precise nature of the claim that Korah had against Moses was that he accused Moses of Ashes Ish, which literally means adultery. Ashes Ish, which means the wife of a man, he accused Moses of committing adultery. That's the simple reading of the Talmud. Ashes Ish, the wife of a man. I saw some of the commentators say a very deep point. We know the Talmud, like the Torah, is written in in multi-dimensions, multi-layered. One deep Kabbalistic layer of this Talmud is that 
you know, it's, it's kind of bizarre. Moses is separated from his own wife. Moses, everyone sees he's amazing. He took a taste out of, out of the land, gives us the manna. Like he's obviously someone who is on a very high spiritual level. It seems, it seems unusual that Korah would contest Moshe's greatness and accuse him of a very, a very, uh, terrible crime that doesn't seem fitting with the evidence. So what the commentators tell us is that the deep message of this Talmud it's not that they accused him of adultery. They accused him of a lower-grade prophecy. Just like we said, most prophets, they get the prophecy handed to them by the level of angel called Ish. So the relationship that they have with the angels, the angels giving and they're receiving. Moses being accused of being Guilty of the crime of Ashes Ish, being the wife of an Ish. What Korah was really accusing Moses is that his prophecy is no different than the prophecy of anyone, of any other prophet. He too was like the quote unquote wife of an Ish. His prophecy was delivered to him via the angel who is called the Ishim. He's no different than all the other prophets. It's not a, it's a very deep take on the Talmud that he wasn't simply accusing him of committing a terrible, uh, grievous crime. Rather, he was contesting the unique nature of Mosaic prophecy. He said, no, 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 Moses, you're also the wife of Anish. You also are the receiving end of prophecy via the angel called Ish. So that's the general idea that we find here in the Rambam, that Mosaic prophecy is unique. It's done directly without an angelic intermediary. I want to note that the Ramban, Nachmanides, disagrees on the Rambam, Maimonides, he has a very long piece, uh, an essay, if, if you will, on prophecy in Genesis 18, verse 1, which is the story of, of, of Abraham and the three, uh, the three visitors. And he disagrees quite vociferously with the Rambam. And he says, no, you know, if you hear a message from an angel or you have a dream, it, it's some sort of vision, it's some sort of an understanding, but it's not prophecy. If you have prophecy via an angel, it is not considered real prophecy. It's some some other revelation, but it's not prophecy. Okay, so it's important to note that he disagrees with the Rambam. He says you're making a mistake if you follow the Rambam, but we're following the Rambam in in this point. But the overarching message that we we're, we're being told about the Rambam is that Moses is going to transcend from the level of a man, a simple man, harboring body and soul, to the level of an angel, and therefore does not have an angel between him and God, and does not have that normal prophecy has this elevated mosaic prophecy. So if you look at Exodus chapter 34, this is in the aftermath of the golden calf story. Moses comes down from heaven. And at that point, we say that Moses achieves his ultimate designation as being that highest level prophet. Moses is now going to give us Torah. And the reason why Moses has this highest level of prophecy is because he's going to be the conduit to give us Torah. And therefore, at this juncture, Moses is being catapulted to the highest level of prophecy. And the verse tells us that Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights in, in heaven. This is the, this is not the first time. This is the third time that he went up. And he comes down from the mountain. This is verse 29 of chapter 34. And he's holding the second set of tablets. And Moses did not know that his face was glowing. And the people were hesitant to approach him because his face was fiery. 
And the verse continues by telling us that when Moses spoke to the people, he put on a mask. And when he spoke to God, he took off the mask. This little anecdote that Moses had to put on a mask because his face was as bright as the sun, says the Talmud. What this is hinting at is that, you know, most people, you know, if I want to talk to you, I have a body, you have a body, we all have souls within us, but ultimately we're communicating on the body level. And the reason why prophecy is a unique experience is because it's the prophet communicating with God and that prophecy is not the communication of the prophet's body and God, it's the prophet's soul and God. And therefore, to the degree that the prophet has a body and that captures part of their identity, that body is going to prevent that communication from being very natural. And therefore, that to be asleep, they're in a trance, they, they start convulsing, it's very painful, it's unusual, it's only by night. All those limitations is because they're not a perfectly engineered receptacle of prophecy. Moses is not like that. Moses ascends to this highest level that prophecy is the new normal. What has to happen for Moses, not to speak to God, but to speak to humans? It's an angel talking to a human. Moses has to put on a mask. He has to put on an artificial body to be able to speak to the body-bearing humans that he's speaking to. Communication with God now becomes normal. He doesn't need anything for that. He doesn't need to become a different person to go to sleep, to be lulled into a different state, to be in the trance, to be, to be in a dream. He doesn't need any of that. That's normal. But communication with other humans now ceases being normal and therefore he has to garb himself in this artificial way, putting on the artificial body to buffer between him and his soul and to create this artificial body to talk to to other humans. That, of course, is emblematic of what changes with Moses on the, prof- on the prophetic level results on him having to change the way he talks to other humans because now there's no body there. There's no body that is part of mosaic identity and therefore he has to create the artificial one because humans cannot bear that kind of communication and therefore he has to alter his physiology, if you will, to be able to speak to other humans. That's a little bit about why Mosaic prophecy is different. There's another point that the Ram tells us. And we spoke about this briefly in the past. The content of Mosaic prophecy is unique in that we only call Mosaic prophecy Torah. All the other prophecy is not considered that level of Torah. Because Mosaic prophecy is qualitatively different than all the other prophecies, he's the first to be tasked with teaching Torah to humanity. And therefore, of course, we only have the Torah of Moses. There is no other Torah. There's no other mitzvahs that come outside of the Sishotina Torah, the Sishotina Mitzvah Torah that Moses gave us. And we're not looking for replacement because, again, we only have that highest level of prophecy that can give us that highest level that we call Torah. And the Ram points out that we have prophets that preceded Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we talked about other people, Noah, and they're communicating with God, but never are they told, go convey this to others. Even Abraham, he's told to do a circumcision to him, his family, his people. 
He's not told to go missionize, go spread the message to the nation, go tell them to do X and to not do Y. His prophecy is contained. And says the Ram, when we see Torah, Torah is from the word Hora'ah, which means instruction. Moses is the one, the prophecy that diffuses outward, that has to be disseminated. God tells Moses, go say, go teach, because this level of prophecy is going to convey this level of message of Torah, what's called Torah, to the people. And he talks about Abraham. What, what did Abraham do? Abraham was inspired. Abraham was enlightened. And he, he conveyed that to others. And he taught them, he educated them, he entertained them. A lot of things that he did to spread his message. But he never took a direct prophecy and was the conduit to convey that to others. The broad messages, the takeaways, the ideas of monotheism, that he did convey. But there was never like a direct one-to-one, you have a prophecy, now go tell this to other people. Isaac, Jacob, Levi, Kahas, Amram, those are the people that separate Abraham from Moses. All of them were great leaders. All of them were righteous, were sages, and all of them did a lot to spread the general themes of Abraham. But until Moses came, we never had this Torah prophecy, the kind of prophecy that says, here's the message, go tell the Jewish people to do this and to not do that. And even after Moses, post-Mosaic prophecy, the nature of the prophecy is all looking back at Mosaic Torah and exhorting the people to obey, to not deviate, to adhere, to not depart from the Torah of Moses. And thus Moses' prophecy stands on its own. It's the only prophecy that is on the level of Torah instruction conveyed to the masses. The ones that came before it are not Torah-edited prophecies. The ones that came subsequently are also not. They're all referencing back towards the Torah of Moses. This is maybe a broader subject, but the Ram tells us, you know, we have three mitzvos in the book of Genesis before Moses is born. Abraham is told to circumcise. Adam, all of humanity are told to procreate. We're told about the story where Jacob dislocates his hip and that results in the mitzvah to not eat from the part of the animal corresponding to the part that Jacob had injured. So if I would ask the question, why don't we eat the Gid Hanasheh, the sciatica? So there is a Mishnah in the book of Hulan that says that Gid Hanasheh was prohibited at Sinai. And the Rambam in his commentary on that Mishnah, he points out this point. He says, that, pay attention, I'm going to read you a quote from the Rambam. Pay attention to the great principle that's included in this Mishnah. And that is where it says that the Giranasha, that the Sayanaka was prohibited at Sinai. Because even though it was conveyed to Jacob, that was not Torah. That was a message to Jacob, Jacob's children maybe. It is reiterated at Sinai and now becomes the level of Torah. And he gives another example, the prohibition against eating a limb from a live animal. It was conveyed earlier to Noah, but the reason why we don't do it is because we got the Torah from Moses. Similarly, circumcision. It appears in chapter 17 of Genesis. Abraham is told to circumcise. He circumcises his son Isaac. Jewish people are circumcised. We would try to circumcise the people of Shechem, and Joseph also circumcised 
the people of Egypt towards the end of Genesis. But the reason why us, the reason why we circumcise, it's because of the Mosaic Torah that was conveyed at Sinai, and that alone, even though it's based upon a history that happened to uh, to, to Abraham, and even though the story of Jacob is based upon the story that happened to Jacob, and even though the, the Gidonash of this had occurred because of the story that happened to Jacob, the reason why it became binding, the, re- the reason why it became Torah is because it was part of the collected prophecy of Torah of Moses at Sinai. And again, this is, like I, I hinted, it's a bigger subject. The Talmud tells us that all of Torah, all of it, all of it, all of it is part of what was given to Moses. So if I write a speech in 2019 or 2020 and I come up with some amazing new Torah insight that no one ever said, that too is part of the Mosaic message. The writings of the prophets, the Mishnah, the Talmud, everything that came is all part of, it's all rooted at least in the prophecy, in the Mosaic prophecy of Torah. If, if it's included in Torah, we got it via Moses. Even if it's a rabbinic decree that came afterwards, it's all, its essence is all rooted in the Sinaiatic Mosaic prophecy, God to Moses. Only that is considered Torah. Of course, that's a, that's a subject we'll talk about uh, down the line in our studies of the 13 principles. To conclude, I want to look at the third element of how Mosaic prophecy differed than all the other prophets. So we said it's a different level of experience, not via an angel, at all times, not necessarily at night, on demand. We talk about it's a different kind of content. It's only Torah. That's, that's Torah is the prophecy of Moses. And the Ram dedicates chapter 8 of the laws of the foundations of Torah to describing how the vetting of Moshe's prophecy was different than the vetting of every other prophet. We spoke about it a few times ago. If you're a aspiring prophet, and you want to convey your prophecy, you're going to be inspected, you're going to be challenged, your prophecy has to be vetted. Maybe you're a fraud. You look like a nice guy, but you know what? We don't know, because we have no evidence to that, and we have to verify before we take action based upon your claim of prophecy. Well, Moses, he too was vetted as a prophet. But the vetting of Mosaic prophecy is a different level entirely, as we shall see. And consequently, for it to be challenged, there has to be someone of equal prophecy and equal vetting of prophecy. And therefore, and it's never happened, never will happen, and therefore the Mosaic Torah is permanent. So he begins by noting the reasons why the Jewish people believed in Moses. Moses, our teacher. The Jewish people did not believe him because of the miracles and the signs that he did. Why? Because someone who believes the prophecy based upon the miracles and the signs that the prophet prophet does, in their heart, there may still be a niggling feeling of doubt. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear, maybe it was a trick, maybe it was a miracle. I don't know. Maybe there was some sort of sorcery, maybe there was sleight of hand. There could be some other explanation to the miracle, to the sign, that would not equal, that would not result in God inspiring the person with prophecy. 
says the Rambam. But Moses did do a lot of miracles. But all of those miracles had a utility to them. They were all needed based upon the situation of the Jewish people at that time. And not to be the credentials of Mosaic prophecy. So he starts to list them. There was a need to bury the Egyptians in the water. We had to escape them. And therefore Moses split the sea. And therefore, after we were in safely, the sea closed upon the Egyptians. There was utility. There was a need for that. We needed food. We needed water. So Moses gives us manna from heaven, gives us water from a rock. There was a band of insurrectionists in the times of Korach. So there was a need to make the earth open up and have a sinkhole exactly placed where Korach and his co-conspirators were. Similarly, says the Ram, all the other miracles, all the other signs that happened by Moses, that the purpose of that was not to prove his credentials as a prophet. All the other prophets, we believe them based upon the miracles that they do, like we spoke about in the past. So why do we believe Moses? It's because at Mount Sinai, during the Sinai experience, our eyes saw, not a foreigner, our ears heard, not a different person. We saw the fire, we saw the sounds, we saw the flames, and Moses is approaching the smoke. And we hear the voice speaking to him. And we hear Moshe, Moshe. We hear God speaking to Moses. Say to them such and such. And he quotes some verses to prove that that was the experience of Sinai. Verse in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy. Of course, the Sinai experience is told in multiple places in chapter 19, 20, 24 of Exodus, hinted throughout the rest of the Torah, and it's retold again in the beginning of Deuteronomy. Face to face, God spoke with you. It wasn't just God spoke with me, says Moses. God spoke to the whole nation. And God didn't make this covenant with our forefathers, with us. And how do we know, says the Rambam, that the proof from Mosaic prophecy was at Sinai? Well, that's because in the run-up to the Sinai experience, God tells Moses, I'm going to speak to you so that the nation will forever believe in you. And this proves that the level of belief that they had in Moses, that was not the eternal love belief that they had. That was cemented at Sinai. Because Moses previously, the Exodus, it's a whole litany of miracles. And you know what? We achieved a certain belief in Moses. But the eternal belief that we have in Moses was based upon Sinai. That's the introduction the Ram gives us. What he's telling us is that prophets, of course, are vetted. And there's two levels of vetting. There's the lower level, which is a sign, a miracle. All the prophets, if they want to legitimize their prophecy, they have to do a sign, they have to do a miracle. They have to be vetted, they have to be inspected, they have to be tested. But even then, there's still doubt. Because who knows, maybe there was a trick. Maybe they're lying. Maybe there's something we don't know. The vetting of Mosaic prophecy was a higher level. It was via co-prophecy. The nation was temporarily elevated to the level of being prophets themselves. They participated in the prophecy alongside Moses. They experienced it themselves. Their eyes saw, their ears heard. They themselves were privy to Mosaic prophecy. They tapped the phone between God and Moses. And therefore, that is the highest level of prophecy. And that's the level of vetting that Moses had. And the Ram elaborates on this point. Thus, 
it turns out that the ones that Moses was sent to save, the nation, they themselves are the witnesses to his prophecy, that it's true. And you don't need any other sign. Because they and he were witnesses, like two witnesses that saw something, just as, you know, if I, if I meet together with a witness, if we witness something together, says the Rambam, I don't need testimony that he is legit because I was with him when he saw it. He doesn't need testimony that I'm legit because we were together. It's the people that weren't there. They're the ones and we, we come as a unit of testimony to convey to others. But upon each other, we know we were both there together. Moses and the Jewish people are like the two witnesses in the same episode. Co-prophecy. The Jewish people together with Moses are experiencing prophecy and they're hearing God speak to Moses. And consequently... They have no doubt that Mosaic prophecy is legitimate because they themselves were witnesses to that. And the Ram uses this insight to explain a dialogue, an otherwise perplexing dialogue between God and Moses in the beginning of Exodus. This is before Moses even goes down to Egypt. He's still a million working for his father-in-law. God tells him, well, go save the Jewish people. Tell him you're a prophet. Tell him that the God of their forefathers sent you and you're going to save the Jewish people. And of course, Moses has a whole list of objections. But one of those objections is, they won't believe me. And God says to him, yes, you're right, but you're going to worship me on this mountain. And those two parts of the dialogue don't seem to, that doesn't seem to flow. Moses says, they won't believe me. And God says, well, they will believe you because they'll worship me on this mountain, which is Mount Sinai. So the Ram explains is that Moses was worried, not that they won't believe him, but they won't have the higher level of belief. They won't, they'll believe him because of the miracles, but even then there's always this doubt. Maybe there's a trick. Maybe something I don't know. Maybe there is some sophisticated plot that I'm not aware of. And therefore God says, no, 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 you're going to worship me on this mountain. I.e., you're going to have the Sinai experience in which you're going to have not only the lower level of vetting, but the higher level of vetting, and that is going to ensure that they'll believe in you forever. And then the Rama makes it very practical. And he says, okay, so if there's two levels of vetting, one of them is still dubious because if I do a miracle, maybe it's proof of my prophecy, maybe it's not proof of my prophecy. So why do we believe someone does a miracle? Joshua comes, not not Joshua, because Joshua was vetted by Moses, but Samuel comes, and Samuel does a miracle. Maybe he's he's a fraud. It's still possible. It's not mosaic verification. So why do we believe Samuel that he's a legitimate prophet? Deep point the Ram conveys to us. We don't believe any subsequent prophet after Moses because we know that their argument is airtight, it's unimpeachable. No. It's because Moses who was unimpeachable, who was vetted with the highest level of vetting, he told us, he commanded us to listen to someone who brings the lower level of vetting. So when Samuel does a miracle, does a sign that Moses told us fits the parameters of verification for other prophets, because Moses, who is unimpeachable, told us that when someone conveys this level of evidence, believe them, therefore, we believe them just like, says the Rambam, when two witnesses come to court and they say a testimony. Is it possible they're lying? Of course it's possible they're lying. So why do we believe them? 
We believe them because Moses told us to believe them, even though they may be lying. Similarly, Samuel comes. He does a miracle. He does a sign. Is it possible he's lying? Yes. So why do we believe them? Because Moses told us to believe him. And that's, again, the, the essence of the idea that Moses is the father of all the other prophets. Because if we did not have the mosaic level of vetting, all the other prophets, we would still have a doubt. The rational approach is, if someone does a miracle, I don't know how they did it. But maybe there is still a slow trick there. Maybe there is something I don't know, and it's not legit. When Moses says, you know what, even with this lower level of vetting, believe them, Therefore, we believe Samuel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, etc., etc. We believe them because Moses told us to believe them, even though there could be holes in their evidence that they present for their prophecy. And then the Ram brings it home. Therefore, if you have a prophet that arises and does miracles and does signs and does great signs, and he wants to contradict the prophecy of Moses... We don't listen to them. And we know for sure that the miracles that they did were indeed fraudulent. It was not evidence of their prophecy. We know that we know that we know for sure. Why? Because the prophecy of Moses was not done based upon the lower level of vetting, based upon the lower level of evidence of miracles and signs that we could say, well, here's signs, here's miracles. Moses, here's miracles, some other unnamed prophet. And therefore, I don't know, it's kind of an even, it's an even call. But no, Mosaic prophecy was not done via signs, rather because of this high level of co-prophecy. We saw with our own eyes, we heard with our own ears what he heard. And therefore, it's the equivalent of someone coming and giving prophecy to you that you didn't see what you saw. I know for sure they're lying. Normally, you know, if, if I was a court and I witnessed something in my own eyes and I have witnesses that contradict that, normally witnesses would believe them because we don't know better. But if I know for sure that they're lying, there's no need, even though they are conveying testimony that normally I would believe, but now I know for sure they're lying because I have a higher level of verification that their words are untrue. And therefore, it includes the Rambam, if someone comes and does a miracle or a sign or a wonder and tries to contest any part of Mosaic Torah, to say that one letter is not true, any the smallest part of Mosaic Torah is, is, is called into question, this message does not apply anymore. Anything like that, you know for sure that this person is a fraud and we ought not to believe them because their verification pales in comparison to that of Moses. The only way we can have any doubts in the prophecy of Moses is if someone comes and verifies their prophecy together with the whole nation, co-prophecy of the whole nation, only then is a rival that of Moses, and of course that's not going to happen, and therefore Moses' prophecy will stand forever. Thus concludes the Rambam's take on the Mosaic prophecy. He told us that the prophecy itself, unparalleled, not by those that came prior, not by those that will come subsequently, it is an entirely different experience. We call the prophecy of Moses Torah, and the verification of Mosaic prophecy is done in such a way that it's an entirely different level than that of all the other prophets. And therefore, any subsequent prophet that contradicts anything of Mosaic prophecy, we know for sure 
that they are a fraudulent prophet. They are not legit. This was a joy and an honor to study with you all together. My email address is rabbiwobajiba.com. I look forward to hearing from you uh, any questions or comments or feedback.